So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. My name is Chris Argent and I am your host today with Mike. Hello there. And we also have a co-host who is the Managing Director of ITAS and host of the CFO 4.0 podcast, Hannah Monroe. Hello, Hannah. Hi, everyone. So thank you for being with us today. Um, And just before we get into everything, just a a quick shout to say, if you are liking what we're doing, um, then do hit subscribe. And if you'd like to click those five stars on your podcast provider, it does really help. Helps the algorithms, also helps us. Um, keep doing what we're doing and loving it and uh, the audience is is growing every week so thank you to everyone who's wading in on this it sounds like most people are doing this on their dog walks Um, so talking of dog walks how was your week Mike? You've trailed my answer already Um, well well, well, no I've had a week in London this week so I've been away most of the week and I mentioned last week uh, inconsistent sleep being a real energy sapper for me Um, and this week has been absolutely inconsistent sleep week Um, but it's been great being in London we had the Gen CFO meet last night and I was on the panel I'm sure you're going to talk about it in a minute Chris but um I had a real sense of imposter syndrome sitting with two generative AI experts and little old me in the middle. But I got some really good feedback about translate being being a good translator. Oh, Chris seems to have vanished. I'm not sure if that... No, I am here. Don't worry. Sorry. Oh. Don't worry about that. Oh, God, sorry. Give me some editing to do now. Well, yeah, keep going. You, you can't can't vanish because I thought it <laughs> stopped recording. Anyway, yeah. So imposter syndrome. I thought I had uh, had a bit of imposter syndrome, but got good feedback feedback around translating um really looking forward to the weekend though and recharging and the plan is to get to the coast that always puts things into perspective you know seeing the sea and uh just getting outside i've got to ask i've just got to ask about this imposter syndrome because i also noticed that you uh you put on a jacket last night which yeah. uh you know what, what was behind that was it was were you sort of all of a sudden thinking oh i need to change how i dress to look more professional uh, no, no um so it's one of so one of the things i realized a few years ago is so i always uh, hannah for your benefit i was i'm a t-shirt and jeans person um but i realized that because i'm always a t-shirt and jeans person sometimes if you just change up a, put a shirt on put a jacket on sometimes it actually makes an impact. So it's made an impact because you've noticed it. If I just wore a jacket all the time, you wouldn't even notice. Well, fair enough. Well, I did notice and you look lovely. So thank uh, you very much. Yeah. So Hannah, how's your week been? Well, to be honest, I feel like I've missed out. It sounds like you guys had a right, uh, right, exciting uh, event. So yeah, no, mine's been a good week. It's busy. I think everyone gets like this. Well, as we go into the run up to Christmas, everyone's always like either going, I'm not going to deal with anything till January is or actually, I need to get this done before Christmas. So it's like, you know, a million miles an hour. So yeah, it, it's been it's it's been a million miles an hour kind of week. But that's I love that. I, I'm a, I love a challenge. So that that keeps me in my happy place. Yeah, it is a bit bit of a busy run up to the week. I think we're now in sort of Christmas party season. I, I'm not sure how it is post pandemic, actually. But I think we're, we're still doing Christmas dues. And uh yeah, you might notice a slight change in my voice this week because I am a little bit hungover from last night, but uh, it's all good. It was a great night, so uh, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, Hannah, busy times, but like, how do you kind of recover after your your days and your weeks? I'm I'm curious, right? Because you're an MD of a consultancy, got to be very busy. So how how do you recharge the batteries? 
So I've learned over the years that if I do stuff that requires no brain, actually I find that exhausting and I come out of it more tired. So for me, the trick I've found over the years is to find stuff that distracts me mentally, but is at the right level to allow me to recharge. So my, I've got, so I, I pick up hobbies and anyone that knows me, I know I've got like a billion hobbies. I love to surf, snowboard, horse rides, I shoot, I, and now I'm learning languages. So I'm learning Greek at the moment, just for the fun oh, of it. Um, so yeah, Calimera, um, or Calispera, technically. Okay, good. Caught me out already. And finding things that you enjoy that make you, make you think so and also take you away from a laptop I don't know about any other anyone else that's listened to this I struggle to put the phone down to put the laptop down so horse riding is amazing for that I, yeah. I'm again feeling like a massive underachiever and I don't <laughs> I don't do anywhere near <laughs> enough stuff <laughs> so my, my week was good uh yeah as alluded to we had our our final Gen CFA meet um last night which was which was great good to have the london community back together and and a ton of great feedback it felt like uh the real nice little cherry on the top of a very good year um and great to see a lot of positive feedback from from regulars as well you know people who who are enjoying being part of the community and coming back um we did then follow on with the christmas do which uh was was great um Oh, apologies about the uh, lack of vegetarian food, Mike, because uh, we ended up going to a Chinese dim sum bar, which was just a complete meat fest, which wasn't great for uh, for you. But apologies for that. On the the professional side, um, had actually a really good uh, morning event at the London Stock Exchange, um, which was with one of the community, actually, Baron, who's an advisor. Baron and Yang Wei, I think I might have mentioned it last week, but spoke really well. There were a couple of economists who were, you know, all very doom and gloom about the autumn statement and uh, the economy and and Baron sort of live, livened it up, um, which which was great. So, um, so yeah, that was a, a nice little event as well. But this week's been interesting as well for a few people. So um, I don't know whether you saw the, the SpaceX launch and uh, this is a bit of a tenuous link, but I quite like stuff to do with space. A lot of the news, I don't know whether you saw that the um, the, the the new SpaceX launch and the rocket that went up, uh, it, it blew up. <laughs> and it was reported basically by loads of people that um, it was a failure, you know, and, and they were saying that, you know, look at Elon Musk. You know, Mike, I even think you referred to it in the last podcast, you know, like don't do what Musk did because it blew up, right? But actually, when you start digging into this, rather than listening to the hype and the the public media, you listen to the engineers, right? This isn't failure at all. Um, what, do, what do we think about, you know, this and their approach to it? But so my main media response is that it's, it is the living embodiment of the fail fast software development environment that we see you know build things get them out there get people get people to test them break them learn learn from it iterate and and go again and i suppose when i was thinking about it test pilots in like the 30s 40s 50s when they're flying planes didn't have social media and instant news to contend with when they were going up in planes and they were crashing and people were ejecting out as they were testing them so i don't think it's any different um it's just i think everybody wants elon to fail so it's a personal dig rather than a professional dig 
like I think I think as a business leader you know like when you're leading a team you've got to encourage failure which is sometimes hard to do especially when you can spot it coming but the whole thing around the news I guess my perspective on it is is that stakeholder management you know like how did he set the expectations he set the expectation that it was going to launch and you know go into space but actually it should have been a this is a test flight we just want to see what's going to go bang and if he set that expectation then you'd he wouldn't have had as much blowback I think as he did so I would say is that I agree with the philosophy but actually he could have managed stakeholder and the 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 perception of his project a bit better I I mean I think you can see you can see that um he probably needs to hire a few public relations experts just in general, right? Not not just about SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. his his personal and professional life is a bit all over the place. Um, but uh, that's another podcast, I think. Yeah, it's quite interesting because when you when you actually listen to the engineers at, at SpaceX, that the way they look at this is, well, we've we now have a thousand changes to make, right, to make sure that Starship, you know, which is the the massive rocket that they just put into space second launch is much better but what i feel is quite interesting about this approach now with um spacex is that there's something there's a sense of inevitability about this that they are actually going to do it because this this all this has happened already you know i I don't know how close you are to this but the the spacex falcon rockets that went up and these are the, the reusable rockets that fly back down to ground and and land after propelling the rocket up into space and then they're reusable which is where a lot of the cost is um that's that that's the real revolution here he you know it, it took them you know i can't remember how many but you know let's say hundreds of flights to actually perfect that but they did it in the end and it went from crash after crash after crash to this is bonkers to people starting to think of it as a bit of magic and then you see it happening every single time, like it's some sort of sci-fi film, and you're like, wow. And I think that's what's quite interesting about this, their approach, is that, okay, maybe they manage the comms badly, but I reckon they're going to do it. But it's just a case of, you know, will they do it before the money runs out? And I think in this case, they've probably got enough money. I also think it's really great that you speak to the engineers and they're like, yes, you know, we, we found loads of stuff, right? And that for me, for all of his faults, like he's got a team that's really excited for the mission. He's got a team that's on board that is under is is doesn't feel afraid to fail. And I think, you know, we should look at that and go, actually, there's quite a bit we could take away from him when, you know, for transformation projects about how we how we actually yeah. hit that goal, hit that purpose. I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, uh, like I did it myself a few minutes ago. Everyone likes to have a little dig, right? But I think you're, I think, I think you're absolutely right. That that in, the environment that's created that's created around the teams is is, is clearly going to deliver. I mean, NASA itself is de- basing a lot of its future planning on it being successful, on SpaceX being successful. And I reckon they'll do it. I reckon yeah. they'll do it without a doubt. You know, yes, it's costing them a lot of money, but what's the upside of them doing this multi-planetary rockets or you know blasting around the solar system like you know that is just crazy i was just gonna say though you're making me think of my my other recharge that i do which is watching st- old star trek series I, you're just reminding <laughs> me <laughs> are you a uh picarda or a james t kirker uh, I, I, I don't think i should answer that i think we should move on <laughs> <laughs> okay that is not a problem 
<laughs> so moving on. So Hannah, a bit bit more about yourself. You know, we've known each other for a while. You do a fantastic job on the CFO 4.0 podcast, uh, which I've had the pleasure of being on a couple of times. You're a fantastic interviewer. Um, and I think, you know, we need to do more of this. Uh, you know, the, the grassroots podcasts can all support each other because there's not enough, enough conversation that's happening um, from people who really know what they're, they're talking about. You're you're an implementation consultant, I suppose, using the, you know, the CV name. Um, but what is that? And, and, you know, what do you do? So certainly how I see mo- my role, and, and certainly within ITAS, we have different types of implementation consultants. That's the first thing is that not, not all implementation consultants are created equal, but I'm more of a solution architect. So I hate help people build the picture. Um, so I st- take a step back and look across and go, right, what are all the pieces of the puzzle we need in place um, to make the, the overall architecture work really well? So um, and I tend to work more at the front end of a project, which is the design phase, the process re-engineering, understanding the data architecture. That's the bit I really enjoy. But in order to make that work, you kind of have to know your, what you've got to play with, because as a as an individual and certainly as a business, which is taking my philosophy is I don't believe in bespoke um, development. So I've got to understand the technology I work with. So. Um, that's why I have a technical bent, but my, certainly my role is all about helping people figure out what is the, what do they need to change, whether that's technology processes or, you know, supporting sometimes if people change, um, to actually achieve the goals that they want to as a finance, you know, um, business, um, structure. Could yeah. you say, so just sort of playing that back, the role that you play in that, that front end bit is really understanding the problem. And, and get, getting your head around the organizational problem and exploring that. Yeah. So a lot of the tools and techniques that I've, because I do various financial transformation sessions um, on on the on my podcast and the bits I enjoy is, is actually just kind of going in and going, how do we make things better? So is there a particular challenge you're coming? So the challenge could just be, we've got too many spreadsheets half, um, around the organization. So the, the automatic assumption is that you just, it's just reporting, but it, it may not be. Like, and I think there's there's a lot of assumptions that go around making changes in finance, particularly around technology. There's assumption around the way that processes work. There's an assumption around what a particular technology can do. And actually, I see my role as I'm picking the assumptions going, what's the problem? Do we do we actually need to change the tech to, to make that process better? Or is it actually that we need to rethink how our process works? Um, and and yeah, so I and I and I do a lot of challenging, especially for people that are in the market for new technology. Going right, well, what is the actual problem? You know, the what is the why behind what you're doing? And yeah, well, and that's certainly what I try and coach my team to do as well. So Mike and I sort of talk about this mission to try and drive down transformation failure. Right, that's kind of underpinning what we do. And you know, failure seems to come when you're not using the technology properly. You know, you kind of said there that maybe we're changing customizing the technology unnecessarily failure can also come from the implementation itself Um, but failure tends to come mostly from people not adopting or changing and it's the people side of things but are we talking too much about you know people and tech and and we should actually be talking more about the bit in the middle which is implementation right yeah absolutely i think that's the problem and you know what's really interesting when when people go out to market for a new finance platform say right they'll go to three different vendors 
three completely different pieces of software and go there. They're not going, we think we're going to look at these two vendors, but for that vendor, we're going to look at two or three partners. Isn't that interesting? So, and 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 actually, I have a very different implementation methodology, and I know I do, um, even though the structure might be the same as another partner, how I do it and the things that I put in place to make sure ours are successful, um, and to put this into context, we've got like 100% retention of our intact customers. That, that's because all throughout the process, from the beginning through to the middle to the end, we're looking at like it's not just about the technology it's about how you use it and and the amount of people that come into a conversation and they haven't thought about how they're going to resource it they're asking they might ask us if we if we're lucky and they they know what they're talking about how many projects have you done what have you got any case studies which are great questions um but they're not thinking about have I looked at my our resources in our team who are already stretched who are already working late on month end have we actually got the resource to make this project happen? Um, and I think that's the bit that that everyone forgets about because that's the that tends to be the the bit that causes the problems is not necessarily the technology. It it's how that technology has been implemented. And I genuinely believe that an average piece of technology implemented well is better than a good piece of technology implemented badly. The, the the question I've got a sort of question around the the effort or the the time it takes. So organisations usually, well, in my experience, go we, we've already decided what kind of bit of tech we're going to buy. We're going to buy whatever. Um, how much effort do you think needs to be put in place in front of that decision in an organisation, if that makes sense? So it's almost like that bit of the effort to understand the problem better to make sure you're actually procuring the right thing. If I, when I recruit, I want to, when I look at a new piece of software, I want to know what's the philosophy that that software follows, right? Is it an all-in-one solution and is, or is it a connect the dots kind of put, put your puzzle together kind of solution, right? So I think, I think people need to figure out what their strategy is, right? I think they need to understand what their problem is. And I, I'm personally not a big believer in massive sets of requirements, because I think what that does is that hamstrung strings you into a conversation about does this software tick this feature set versus here's my process. This is what I need it to do. Uh, this is what how I need you to fix it, as in I need to be faster, quicker, more scalable and actually using the the technology in the best way it possibly could be designed to do. And and kind of going back to your, you made a, you said a really interesting thing earlier, Chris, about, you know, we have a tendency to, to go into solutions and go, I need the tech to fit around me. Um, and yes, you need it to, you know, to get close to what you need, but you also need to ask the question as a business, if every single, if most of the software out there doesn't work in a particular way, why on earth are we working in that way? And, and I and I think that there is a bit of self-challenge and there's not enough of that at the beginning part of the process around requirements gathering that um, is actually about challenging the organization back. So why are we doing this? So do we actually want to replicate this? Is this really adding value to our organization? It's interesting where, you know, we talk a bit about this in, in terms of focusing on outcomes and, and people rather than technology itself. And 
it sounds like you can almost get a little bit um, i think you said hamstrung by requirements right the, because there's a risk that you go through the due deal and you know you tick all the boxes but you don't actually lean into some of the the, the harder things to to fix like you know the the number of people that you have to deliver this or the embeddedness of technology within the organization you know for adoption and there may be like there are there are softer sides to even process you know that need to be considered but you get this very detailed document right which on paper sort of says yes we're ready to go but there's something missing you know it's kind of the glue somebody said to me years ago that one of the problems that we have when we're doing requirements is we're effectively concreting the cow paths yeah so so you're you're you've already got your direction you think you know where you're going but even if it's the wrong direction you're just reinforcing it with what you do you you're you're basically plotting your route based on how the cows wandered across the field rather than actually the straightest point from a to b i think that works and it kind of goes back to mr musk right and spacex right you know if they had a and this isn't about project management, but if they had a waterfall approach to delivering a hard set of requirements, they would not be doing what they're doing today. And you would not feel that they were going to achieve it either. You know, yeah. so I wonder how detailed the requirements are um, on their side, right? Because <laughs> they'd certainly be ripping them up daily if they did exist. Uh, but I I think they'd be focused around the use cases. So, I, and, and I, I'm, I am on in my own time looking at how I build out a template so that around use case requirements versus detailed feature requirements, right? And I think that's where we're going wrong because feature requirements are the are the way that we're always told to do. If you go speak to any of the big four, they will produce a set of requirements and hand that over and and, and do that. The problem with that is that is, like you say, a box ticking exercise. It's a risk minimization exercise, and they spend a lot of time putting that together. It's a very expensive process in some instances. But what it doesn't do is go, here is this is the use cases and the assumptions that our business operates on. How should our processes look? Yeah. Yeah. And then challenge and having that effective challenge back and forth between the the technology vendor or, or a consultant to go show me how my processes could look in your world, show me how I can take advantage of all this cool new tech you brought. Just bringing this a little closer to home, so you know, your do you implement any of this with your own team? You know, and and what's your your personal approach to to how you do things at, at ITAS? So we actually have a team implementation model because I've always believed that everyone has different strengths, right? And and I think there's a danger where I, I've I've been the lone consultant on a project, and I think one, it's a really lonely place for a consultant to be, but also it's a really dangerous place for a project to be is reliant on a single person, a single brain. So we I've built a methodology with my team where we implement as a as a group. So we'll have like a senior consultant. If it's a, especially if it's a big transformation project that's kind of stepping back and really keeping that big picture in mind, we'll have somebody that is focused on maybe the technical capabilities that's really good on, right, this is the problem, right, what options have we got and kind of figuring that out. Um, and we might have somebody in there that's really good around the training 
coaching, mentoring, question answering and, and being a support. Because as you know, like I don't, no one team is the same. I'll have some teams that they just get stuff and they're so quick and they're so technically capable. And then I'll get the the more slower moving. That person's been there for 20 years. And honestly, they're just, they've, you know, they've, they've got to figure out how to open an app. You know, you've got the extremes yeah. in finance. So I, we try and build a team around an implementation that plays to the strengths of the customer, but also plays to our individual strengths. And, you know, my team individually are better at different things than I am. And, but together we're an amazing consultant. That, that, that sounds brilliant. And that kind of multi-skilled team, I think you end up, you end up with like one great, great delivery. Uh, how, how did you get there? How did you work out that that was the approach? Was it tr- um, trial and error or uh, an epiphany? Um, I think it's, I don't know, because I think because I came, so I came into consulting quite young. So I was, you know, when I first came in, I was in my early 20s. And you, in, if you think about what things were like, like 15 years ago, being female was one thing, being young and female in the finance tech world was like a real anomaly. So because I didn't have any preconceptions coming in, I think I just tried different things. Um, I I also trained a lot of the team up in the way. And so because I was managing them and training them, I'd say, oh, you're really good at this, right? Oh, I'm on this project, you'll do here. Or I because I was selling, I'd say, oh, that consultant, that personality fits really good there. And then it's just become like a the way that we work, it just organically has has grown and and gone through and I think because um I've been on the other side where you know you've you've had a consultant even or you picked up something that someone else has implemented three years ago and nobody can remember what what was happening what what's happened so we look at we have a really like we try to build a rigorous process around implementation that's always evolving so that whole fail fast yes but also how do we feed that back and stop it from failing at the beginning whether that's how we sell how we mm. implement and then and then it was just we had so many different personalities because i was a bit of a bit of a, a a strange person in the implementation i didn't look for more people like me i was looking for different individuals with different strengths and so then then we have to find the match because it's always about the match um, in terms of, and that's what people should be thinking about when they're looking for a partner. We're not the perfect partner for everybody. Yeah. It's about finding an implementation partner that one gets you, but also is a good fit for your culture internally. It, it sounds like you, you've walked the talk there, right? It's almost like you've run your own implementation project, running your own company. Yeah. And I think because, because I always, the philosophy I've always had is that I treat every customer as I, as if they were my friend, as in, not as in like joking around though we do, we like to think I have a decent <laughs> sense of humor. Um, but fundamentally, if I wouldn't recommend one of my consultants to my friend, I won't, I won't have them in my business. And, yeah. and be- I think because of that, I go, I, th- I, if I think about the different, if you think about your friends, you, you know, their personalities, you know what they're like, you know, how they're going to react to a situation. And I try and anticipate that with my customers you know, they're going to enjoy working with a person because, you know, that, that culturally and also how they how they deal with situations will work really well. You know, you've got certain people that are really patient, that don't mind the 50, the same question five times over. And you've got others where when they've got really hard and tricky technical situations, they're amazing. 
I think that's a really important point of difference, though, but, you know, between consultancies and implementation consultants, right, that you're actually saying chemistry is really important. <clears throat> and I don't think it's a consideration in a lot of projects. Um, you know, you literally just have, you know, a combination of, of, of grads, mid consultants and senior consultants turning up and you just got to get on with it. Right. But the chemistry thing is is a really interesting angle is that is that a bit of a luxury a, a company like yourself and can you see that's a big a challenge for the bigger consultancies shouldn't be but i understand why it is because most of them have a framework in which they hire they look for what is a repeatable success in their recruitment framework you think about the big fours they they have this this like matrix of tick 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 yeah. And actually, we hire on values, not on the tick boxes, you know, and I love it when I rock and, and I and I and when, when I go, oh, I'm not sure if culture, that's a good fit. I go, why? Is it because of the values or is it because they bring something different to the table? And I did an amazing podcast around diversity. Diversity is about more than the color of people's skin, the sex, the, you know, their orientations and things like that. It is about backgrounds. It's about communication dynamics. It's about all of these things. Um, and I don't think enough, I think so much focus on those big companies around that is around the formal definition of diversity rather than backgrounds. And so they don't. And also, as, as a small business, I don't have the luxury of a, an entire waiting list of um, first class graduates. And I've got to do 50 interviews to find the one graduate. I've had to to build and train talents and I've had to find um, the right talent. So, you know, that's it's a whole different recruitment dynamic. Uh, I, you, you remind me of one of the, the best, I think the best team I ever worked in. I think individually, each person in the team was quirky would be a fair comment. But actually <laughs> you put them together, that, that kind of like the, the, the diversity of thought that you got. And I think that's what you're talking about is that diversity yeah. of thinking and approach was re- was really powerful um what I wanted what's what gone through my head is you, you've, you've described a really kind of uh, what I think is a brilliant approach to to kind of the matching you know I, I, I wouldn't recommend them if I wouldn't if I wouldn't recommend them to my friend I just wonder if there's you've got an example of when you've said no so you've actually been working with somebody or you've been in those initial discussions you thought I, I just even though you're going to pay me I just I'm not going to be able to make this work yeah, I have actually. So, um, <laughs> so I actually had a conversation, and they they would they gave us this list of requirements around business background. Do you have this? And like, honestly, this list was huge. And I went, guys, who else are you looking at? And they're like, well, we, you know, we're looking at these guys, and there were big names, like consultancy names. I'm like, you're in the wrong conversation, right? Some or well, one of us is either they are or we are. Because we're mm-hmm. a boutique agency, right? We're small. I'm I'm not planning on world domination and being one of the big another the big five. Yeah? Not not this year. Not this oh, year. Yes, then. maybe next year. No, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish, but no, actually, don't wish. That's the point, right? Mm. Because I I don't think the the engine that drives those consultancies is not what drives me personally. Um, so when I talk, you know, the the one of the biggest measures of success in our business is case studies. And, and I think that says everything about what drives our business. Whereas you go into those, it's billable hours, utilization, 
it's all those kind of financially driven metrics. And yes, the business has to be profitable. Yes, it has to grow and all those kind of things. But actually, that can't be the reason my I, in fact, I don't want it to be the reason my business exists. I think there's a book in me somewhere because like, I, I think what when I talk to people, there's it, almost like this startup approach that I think would be really helpful to any CFO, enterprise CFO, mid-sized CFO, they're not they're not going to start up a company. But some of these behaviors that you're talking about are so powerful. I think, you know, your point around recruiting f- f- on values and behavior, it's a really simple thing to do. If you do it consistently, you you do you get an, an incredible team, you know, supporting your goals in the way that you want them to be supported. And you know, right sizing your ambitious ambition and your team. You know, you're saying, look, I want to be a boutique agency. That's brilliant. And I think all these sort of startup lessons are really valuable to leaders in any size company. But can you see the the, the link there? You know, you work with larger companies as well, Hannah. It's uh, it's a lot yeah. of behavior here that could be could help them. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest and say we haven't nailed it perfectly. I think anyone that thinks they have. It hasn't I, I i think that's again one of the the, the key aspects of a of an effective of, of you know of a business is to kind of acknowledge that you're not perfect and just focus on the areas that you you want to improve and and I, it's that entrepreneurial mindset that's what we want in cfos we want them to think like like entrepreneurs to go where's the opportunity what's the value as a finance team we bring to the organization what's the value that the organization doesn't even know we can bring and how do we how do we how we build processes and and structures and how do we measure that output and yeah I love that idea Chris that would be a really awesome awesome piece to say how do we bring all this this entrepreneurial mindset into finance and use it to drive value I've got a little bit stuck on trying to think of a title for the book but um (laughs) I I I I, the point I was going to make is I don't think it's just for finance leaders, right? It, what you're describing is almost, it's almost something that business in general would benefit from is just some of these tools and thought processes of, of, a, of a startup. Excellent. Well, great, um, great insights there. And I, it's nice to sort of hear a little bit more about what you do. And, you know, I agree, maybe I'll come back for this uh, co-author deal next year. Um but if you would like to ask any questions to our speakers or to Mike and myself on the podcast that we'd get, we'll answer for you, then um, now's the time to do it. If you send your questions to podcast at generationcfo.com, who produced the podcast, um, we'll happily include them. And we've actually got a question here this week. So there's there's a lot of discussion that we have and we've probably done it again without realizing it this week but there are some things that we talk about that aren't really commonly known and one of the questions this week was was around that last week we were talking about Katrina Williams who who was launching something within the government finance function to 11,000 odd people and that she was very excited because it was go no go day now you can have a guess at what happens from a go no go um meeting but the the question was what is a go no go meeting and why is it so important who wants to have a go at that well, 
Well, I can tell you my misunderstanding when I first read the question, which is was around whether you should act, how do you decide whether to go to a meeting or not go to a meeting was my my initial <laughs> thought. Um, and there's definitely been occasions where I've uh, biscuits, opted out biscuits. of meetings. Yeah, well, that, that 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 can be the case. But when when you're working from home, it, it makes it a bit more difficult. Um, but in terms of the, the actual question, now I understand it. Um, it's literally that decision point. It's it's actually getting everybody in the room together to make the decision and having that formal sign off that you're going to spend the money on the thing or you're going to, in this that case, roll out the, the, the piece of software, I think. Yeah, so um, there's often a decision point in a, an implementation where you have to make the choice about whether to go, right? You have to go, are we ready to go live? Um, and I always say, I think... With those meetings, it's a bit about you've got to resist the pressure of expectation, right? Because it's a lot harder if you've ever had, um, I, I talk about this a lot this week, actually. But if you ever had um, bad electrics done on a house or done by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, you will understand the pain of trying to unpick stuff that has been done. It's much better to do stuff right the first time. And I I take that philosophy with go lives is, yeah, you can you can clean up around the edges, but fundamentally, are you genuinely in a position where you can go live with this and it will be a success? And you need to bring all of the risks, all of the challenges, any any areas where you don't feel like you tested thoroughly to that meeting um, and make sure that everyone's on boarded and ready to go. And we would we would call it a go live planning meeting. <laughs> um, but we, we I quite like that go, no go um phrase as it were but yeah it's it's about saying are we ready to take the next step i, I really like what, how you said that then the, the the wiring the wiring analogy because it made me think of what you were talking about before with regards to the implementation consultant role which is actually what you're doing is you're laying out the wiring properly to make sure when you get to that point you don't have to go back and unpick the mess and i, I think that links together really nicely but I'm going to be able to say that that go no go piece, you should know what everyone on the team should know where they're at before they get there. That for me should be the icing on the cake. Yes. Yeah. If people are coming into that meeting and there's new stuff coming up, then somebody's not managed that project effectively. Like, you know, there's there is a bit about it's almost it should be a foregone conclusion pretty much by the time you get there. I think if you if you listen back to last week's podcast, Kat was pretty sure which way it was going to go, and it did. It was well a go. done, Kat. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point, though. I think sometimes people enter into meetings without a plan or without having prepped, and they they let it just unfurl in front of them, and that's definitely not the way to manage these things. But yeah, brilliant. So, well, moving on, we uh, each week we do our, our good data, bad data, and um, the uh, good data from me is that. It's December, uh, favorite month of the year for me. Very, is it, is very... that because you you've opened opened the first window on your advent calendar today? That chocolate? No, Mike, yeah. I wasn't at oh. home for that. As oh, you yes. well know. Um, yeah, and uh, the elf on the shelf didn't oblige. Uh, even though I'm not a big fan of all that, but uh, yeah, it's December. No, it's just um, August and December are planning recoup months for me that is that is great data I, i've gone with the, the i was listening to the weather forecast when traveling back home today and it's going to be minus 10 degrees tonight in places in the uk and that's, ba- that, that's bad data 
while it reminded me of when I was a kid and you, you'd end up with a snow day or a, a cold weather day and you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have to go to school. And I, so, so the, the good data is if it's going to be that cold, maybe I'll get a snow day tomorrow. But then the, the, the bad, the, there is a bad side to that, which is I think the internet's ruined the, the like the anticipation of a snow day. <laughs> It's true, actually. It's true. I, I remember when there was a snow day uh, before the pandemic many years ago when I was living in Clapham and everyone steamed onto Clapham Common, had a massive snowball fight. It was fantastic. Um, everyone would be working from home now. Everyone would be expected to work from home and not miss a meeting. Yeah. No time for snowball fights. That's rubbish, isn't it? Well, anyway, yeah. that was a good one. Um, had any snowball fights? Hannah, you're, you're, um, you're in the countryside. Do you uh, ever, ever get stuck in the snow? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I remember, and I have still have the greatest one of my team. So we we where the office when we first started where the office was, it was very much in the country, and we got snowed in. And I was so impressed with one of my team. She had literally driven up, and one of the guys had got stuck. She she opened a boot, took out a shovel, and started digging out the ice for them. I was like. You're an absolute winner, girl. <laughs> it, <laughs> I was well impressed. Awesome. That's what happens when you recruit on values, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, um, like yeah. it. See what I did there? Um, and so, excellent. It's so a bad data. I've got bad data. I th- this is a bit of a weird one, um, especially in the world that I work in now. Uh, but 90% of online content may be AI generated um, within the next three years. And that number I've seen creep up. I- I'm I'm now keep quite a keen eye on content and marketing but obviously with what we do with gen cfo and i think it's crept up from like 60 percent to 70 percent and the latest headline is like 90 percent of online content will be ai generated and uh you know i'm a great fan of technology and we talk about gen ai on here and in other forums um but i do wonder where the quality is going to go and whether content in general is going to be very difficult to you know, to, to get anything original or to get anything. Maybe this is where, you know, the the, the BBC and the, the sort of broadsheet start to come back in again, though, um, if basically everything that you read online is, is rubbish. Yeah, I think the problem, I think the problem with AI content is that it, it looks like good quality. So it, for me, the problem with AI is the lack of original thought and all that creativity. And that's the bit that I worry about. Um, and and the, I think the worst thing is we won't know it's a problem until it's a problem it's you want opinion don't you You want a personality you want a you know you want a random thought you want a contra thought you know and this yeah. is just uh kind of uh, an aggregation of a lot of a lot of common thoughts uh, right. and so my, my immediate thought is it, the one of the problems is it starts to feed it's feeding itself mm-hmm. so quite a lot of the sort of gen ai stuff has been trained off in off the internet if the main if the internet is mainly made up of ai generated stuff it's, it's feeding itself so any biases or skews that are there will just be exacerbated. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a worrying number. And you had another one, Mike. I so I was listening listening to somebody talking about the COP twenty eight in in uh, wherever it is. I was going to say it's in Dubai, but I don't think it is in Dubai. Um, but seventy thousand people are attending, and I just couldn't believe that um, seventy thousand people were literally travelling into the Middle East to talk about climate. In, it, it just seems completely counterintuitive. I think um, I also heard somebody say that the, the whole COP process has now turned more into a trade fair than a discussion on taking action to pre- prevent climate change. And it, it just feels like 
another, it almost feels like one of those meetings that I shouldn't go to, right? It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a no-go. Yeah, you know, green tech is a booming industry, no doubt. And uh, if they've got an expo on the side of this, 70,000 people there, you all, all getting on a plane to go to COP. 28 just seems a bit weird but well we're not going to fix that one today um and i don't want to finish on such a downer so um so happy december um hopefully there is a uh a snow day tomorrow and if there is it's uh it's tuesday officially if you're you're listening to this um on day of launch so uh enjoy wednesday off and just blame it on the snow hannah thank you um Really, really nice to to talk to you and hear all about ITAS. You know, where can people hear from you, connect to you, you know, learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So, um, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Hannah Monroe. Um, you might even find me under LinkedIn, which is a maiden name. That's another story. Um, and uh, the, the website for, for ITAS is itassolutions.co.uk. Um, and, uh, yeah, while you're listening to this amazing podcast, don't forget to check out CFO 4.0 as well, which is available on all good podcast networks. Absolutely. Subscribe to CFO 4.0. It's a brilliant podcast and uh, I love the name. Also subscribe to It's Not All About the Numbers. <laughs> um, I've just got to finish on that because the algorithm might, you know, take the wrong mm-hmm. one. Um, if you do want to uh, send us any shout outs as well, uh, we will do shout outs at this point at the end. Um, and it could be anything from saying well done to the team or, you know, some charity work or something that you want us to um, put out there so that people can find it. And um you can do that by sending your emails. And uh, I don't have a shout out this week, but I do just want to say thank you to to Mike. You know, most people only hear him as as co-host on this. Um, but Mike's been supporting us in 2023 and finished on a high last night, I have to say. Being on on the panel, we would, it was Gen AI, Mavericks, the need for speed in decision making, um, to which Mike was there as the non-finance the the it's not i'm not an accountant expert and uh and you blagged it really well you know <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> so, uh, so thank you for supporting our event it was um it was great and hannah i hope to see you in london very soon if not we'll have to try and dig you out of the snow at some point <laughs> bring the shovel and i will be down there <laughs> well thank you for listening and thanks for being part of today and remember it's not all about the numbers mm-hmm.